Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you all here today. If we've not met yet, uh, my name is JP, and I'm so happy to uh, be able to spend this time with you. Um, we're so excited to be able to start a new series together. So we finished James through uh, throughout the summer, and now we're starting a new series called Be Still, uh, the idea of finding silence. And so um, recognizing that we are in a season in which things aren't quite crazy yet, but I know Shaylin starts school and, uh, on Wednesday of this week, um, and so met school starting at Power Unified and a week after that, and then all of a sudden there's just school commitments and extracurriculars, things that took a break in the summer, uh, maybe small groups are starting back up, and then all of a sudden you blink and it's Christmas. And so it's one of those where instead of just rushing through the fall, hoping we can make it through, um, what would it look like and this is what we'll look over the next few weeks. What would it look like for us to create margin for ourselves in a busy season? What would it look like for us to make sure that we are having those moments to be still with God, to not just speak little drive-by prayers, but to be still and to hear what he actually has to say in response? And what would it look like for us to enter into this season and any season with the amount of space to be able to face what may come because we're not so hurried and harried and hectic, but because we're finding that peace and that sustenance from who God is first. And so we're going to dive into, um, uh, we're going to look at the context of Psalm 4610 today. But before we do, I would just ask that you would join me in a word of prayer as we dive into God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here in this place, Lord. We thank you for each and every person that is here this morning, and I thank you for those that are listening online later. God, I pray that every person who hears my voice knows that they are deeply loved by you, that they are prayed for, cared for, and loved before, by us before they even came into this room or before they push play online. God, I pray that you would open up our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to whatever it is that you have for us, whatever word from your voice we need to hear, God, may we have the ability to be still enough to receive it. And God, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, and that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. Lord, we love you. It's your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So we... Uh, our starting Be Still series, and, and like I said, today we're looking at Psalm 46, verse 10. So Psalm 46 is going to be on page 883 of your Bible, if you're using the church Bible app. If you have your own Bible, I don't know what page it is, but it's Psalm 46. Uh, you can also use the app as well uh, if you're using the Bible app. Now, uh, I'm trying to think of different times in my life in which I knew that I had to just be very still. Uh, one of them in which was uh, growing up and for many of the years of my childhood, I had one specific uh, barber who I would go to, and he would, you know, cut my hair off the top and, and uh, make it look, you know, whatever he could do with this. And then he would go and he would have a razor, and then I just remembered kind of having this moment of, not like full-on anxiety, I'm not going to use that term, but just being extra aware of the fact that as they are as he's using the, the um, trimmer to kind of go by my ear and to go around the back doing that on both sides, just feeling very aware that when there's this loud noise right inside my ear, uh, right next to my ear, it's so easy for me to try to like, twitch or, or like get nervous or anxiety or whatever. And so it's one of those where, you know, I just, I'm, okay, got to be still. You got to be calm. Got to be still. Another time is when I had to get a, a CAT scan because I was getting a lot of migraines and um, it was years ago. And, and so I remember they're like, okay, be still. And I'm like, I, I'm inside of like a 
like a tube and I'm like going in, I'm like trying to be still as best I can and then I, I like twitch a pinky toenail. I'm like, did I ruin it? You know, like you just don't know because you're told to be still. And, or maybe, maybe it's something where it's just a moment in which um, you're at the dentist and they're trying to take x-rays, same kind of idea where it's like be still and you're like, like uh, maybe, maybe you will have great balance and awareness. Like for me, I just start like wobbling a little bit and you're like, okay, I just hope I'm fine. All that to say is that you know, there are times in which we recognize we just, we have to be still, and those are often times in which we might normally not be still, because when you guys are all sitting there, I don't need to say, hey, be still. You're like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm calm right now. You don't need to make that declaration. So that command to be still, in the context, we've got to look, because something else is going on in Psalm 46, and there's a lot that's surrounding it. And for us, we recognize, again, that this can be a crazy season. And let me be clear, we'll dive into this in the next few weeks. It is absolutely vital for those of us who have given our lives to the Lord, who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, for us to have these quiet times, these times of devotion, these times where we are praying, but we're also listening. We're not just doing a drive-by talking at God, but a being still hearing from God. They're recognizing that we need to have times in which we kind of get out of the rat race or just the craziness and the hectic lifestyle that many of us lead, that sometimes being busy can end up being a badge of honor. Well, look how many things I have to do this week. And, and it can become something like, oh, wow, you have value because you're doing things. You're, you have value because you're busy, you're producing, you're, you're doing this stuff. When in reality, it may feel like a pat on the back to get acknowledgement for being busy, but many times being busy ends up being harsh to our souls because it's too much. We're not a, we weren't created to do things 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We were created to have moments and ebbs and flows of busy times, but then also times to be still. So we'll dive into that. It's vital to have those quiet times with God. But my, our main point this morning is that stillness isn't just for your quiet times. It's not just for your quiet times. That's obviously part of it, a huge part of it. But it's also for your troubled times. It's for those moments in which everything is going crazy around you that we hear God's voice to be still. Let's look at this together in Psalm 46 to get an idea. So in your notes, it'll have a section, you know, the, the header says stillness and troubled times. And why do we get the verbiage troubled? Well, let's look at verse 1 of Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. So just right off the bat, it's decided that being still, stillness isn't just for our quiet times. It's vital for our troubled times. Let me continue reading verses 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. You know what this reminds us that because we know that God is our ever-present, ever present, sorry, help in trouble, we know he's our refuge, we know he's our strength, that when we experience these things that can cause fear, that we listen to this point here, this idea that stillness keeps our focus not on the objects of our fear, but on the author of our faith. Recognizing that Peter, when he walked on water, he, he saw Jesus and he said, Lord, if that's you, let me walk on water. I'll walk to you. 
Jesus says, come out onto the water. He gets out of the boat and he starts walking. And as long as his eyes were fixed on the author and perfecter of his faith, on Jesus Christ, he was able to walk on water. But once he started to look to the left and sees the wind and the right and he sees the waves, all of a sudden, once that distraction happens, once the objects of the fear start taking hold of us rather than the author of our faith, then all of a sudden, he starts to sink. And in that moment, he says, Lord, save me. And it says that Jesus immediately picked him up out of the water and says, why did you doubt? And so we recognize here that we can fix our eyes not on what causes us to fear, but on the one who is with us in the midst of it all. And so what was interesting was we were kind of talking about Psalm 46 in our staff meeting this past week, and Mary Bramlett, our children's director, made a comment that she had watched an actual, uh, like a documentary about a moment in which this idea of the, uh, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. You know, like the earth gives way. We say, okay, that's like an earthquake. And, you know, it talks about the waters are roaring. Like, oh man, like that's a huge tidal wave or whatever's going on. The mountains quake with their surging, like a volcano. I mean, whatever that might be. But this verse right here, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. That's not like some poetic uh, liberty that's taken. That we found out that there's actual things that when a mountain falls into the sea, there's something that's called a mega tsunami. So not, I mean, normal tsunamis, you've seen videos, those are devastating. A mega tsunami, let me give you an example. That in Latuya Bay in Alaska, July 9th, 1958, there was a 7.9 magnitude earthquake that happened right in this area. And it's kind of hard to see because the picture quality is not great. I apologize about that. Um, it's the best I could find. But it shows you kind of the arrow of where that what happened out of the result of that earthquake was the fact that there was a rock slide that caused 90, let me make sure I get this right, 90 million tons of the mountain to enter in, to crash into the water. Now, the result of this was that waves became so high that it was not just a, a quote, regular tsunami. Normal tsunamis happen when tectonic plates on the bottom of the, or of, sorry, the bottom of the ocean shift, and it causes this. When something drops into it, it became this mega tsunami, and there's a part of the um, documentary that I found online was that is they talked about the sun and his dad and how they were on the boat. The dad hears this. And then all of a sudden, he sees this. And he's, he just grabs a life vest, puts one on himself, but he gives one to his son. says, son, start praying. Because what happened with the displacement of all the water from 90 million tons crashing into the water is that the waves ended up going so high that they share how their boat got started riding the wave, and it was taller than the timberline, taller than the tops of the trees of the land nearby. In fact, the waves ended up getting up to 1,720 feet tall. And for context, that's tall. No, I'm just kidding. For context, uh, for context that would be if 1,720 feet was a building, like if that was the height of a building, that would be the second tallest building in America second to the One World, uh, One World Trade Center building that's in um, New York, and it would be the 10th highest building in the entire world. And so it was this huge, incredibly crazy story in which they talk about how they went over the tree line, but then the water, they got brought back into the bay and they survived. But there were others who weren't, and there, there were some casualties there out of this catastrophic event. But 
The sidebar for this, or kind of the, the fun part that Mary had shared when she was talking about it, was that there, it's so cool sometimes, not to hear crazy stories like that, but it's amazing when you see something in the Bible, and then all of a sudden you hear the actual, like, something natural that happens, and the Bible was explaining something before science had a name for it. And so recognizing that this was something that is a real thing that had actually happened, and it's something that, looking at the devastation that had occurred... And now, I recognize that for some of us in this room, you are in a place where it feels like your world has been raging and surging. It feels like foundations have crashed into your life, and it's creating this this mega tsunami of tragedy or brokenness or loss or hurt or anger, confusion. This idea that we have all these things that might happen, that the earth might give away, there might be a foundation that starts crumbling and we struggle with that, that there might be these idea of relationships that outburst like a mountain that is surging, that the waves are foaming, that we can see these moments in our lives where it's really hard not to be focused on the objects of our fear. It's really hard not to fix our eyes on like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening, I can't believe that's happening. All the while, Jesus is right there. All the while, God is wanting us to be still, and yet he recognizes, we know it's hard. That's why he has to tell us in the midst of those things to be still. Remember, I'm your ever-present help. I'm your refuge, I'm your strength. And we need that refuge, that strength, and that help when trouble times comes and we fix our eyes on the things that can cause us fear rather than the author of our faith. Now, I want to give a, a text note about the Hebrew um, in this passage. So after verse 3, uh, some, of your verses, or sorry, some of your versions may have it. Uh, the church Bible currently doesn't, but some of you may have uh, just this five-letter word that we see often in the Psalms and in Habakkuk especially, the word Selah. Now, it's after verse 3, Selah. There are different interpretations of, of what it may mean. In fact, one of them uh, that I read talked about that it might be connected to the word, uh, the, sorry, the root word for the word to hang, like this I'd like to hang on something and, and to just stop and, and to be there. Um, other, other translations or other theories about it mean that may mean stuff like praise, like just, to, just praise. It may mean to lift up or it may mean to pause. That if we look at the busyness of our world, we live in a fast-forward culture in which sometimes we just need to pause. And so looking at this idea with the Amplified Bible, because most people, because we don't fully know what it means, that they will, they won't, they'll transliterate it, which means they'll just put the word Selah without necessarily putting in the meaning behind it as opposed to our other words that are translated. But what they do in, in the Amplified Bible specifically, I love this, whenever there's the word Selah, it would say, quote, pause and calmly think about that. So pause and calmly think about what we just read. So as if we do this right now, we look at this idea that God's our refuge, he's our strength, there's everything around us that may cause us to fear, but he's our refuge, he's our strength. What does it mean for us to pause, to calmly think about that, to remember that that is true? That is true for us. So we look at that there, the idea that stillness keeps our focus on the objects of our fear, not on the objects of our fear, but on the author of our faith. The next point that we see is that stillness ushers us into the tension of gladness 
and sadness. Stillness allows us to be ushered into this tension. Let's take a few, look, a few moments to look at verses 4 through 7. Now there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Some of this idea comes from Ezekiel 47, which we spent some time on in Good Friday. Uh, but the idea that in Ezekiel 47, the prophet Ezekiel had a vision that coming out of the temple, there would be streams of water, a river that would go through the city of God. And so the city of God representing the people of God and the presence of God in the temple, that this verse shows us how there's a river, there is a way that we can have a stream of living water in the midst of because we're the people of God, we can have a stream of living water in the midst of chaos that makes us or causes us to be glad. That we can have joy in the midst of it. Talking about how even when bad things come, when we have a relationship with God, when we're able to lean into that and draw strength, not from our own strength, but as an oak of righteousness that is planted near a stream of water, as Psalm 1 talks about, the idea that we are able to gather that strength from that stream of living water, gather that strength from our relationship with God. So we're able to be made glad, the place where the Most High dwells. Continue on verse 5. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And as we see the idea that the river, verse 4, makes us glad in contrast to the fear and the chaos of the waters mentioned above that are roaring and foaming. Verse 5 talks about how that the, peop the people would have God within them. The people of God with God within us will not fall, which is a direct contrast to the idea that the earth falling into the sea in verse 2, but then also what we see here in verse 6, that kingdoms will fall. So they use this language to say, here's what's going on around, but internally with a relationship with God, this is what we're able to withstand. This is how we're able to know that there's a gladness that can happen when we are still and have a right relationship with God. But yet, we also know that when we have a relationship with God, things are not always good. We're not always glad. And if we put off the airs that we are, then that could so often be a mask that not, doesn't allow us to truly get closer to one another through community because we're not letting people in, but we're not fully being able to get close to God and the intimacy that he desires because he knows all of our thoughts and our heartaches anyways. How much better to get rid of the mask and see him face to face. But we see here this idea that um, verse five, the idea that kingdom, sorry, verse six, the idea that kingdoms will fall, but those who believe in God won't. And, and it's a quick reminder, a quick reference. We're not going to read it, but in Daniel chapter 2, uh, we see the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and Daniel was asked to interpret it. And so he says the dream. He talks about how in the dream, there was a huge statue, and there was a head of gold, and a chest of silver, and, and arms of bronze, and legs of iron, and feet mixed with iron and clay. And he talks about how these represent different empires, different kingdoms, the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. And so he says that, but then he also talks about how there was a rock that looked like it was cut, not from man, that goes in and it destroys those, that statue. And it talks about how that rock represents the kingdom of God, that all these other kingdoms will fall. 
the kingdom of God shall remain forever. Daniel 4.3 talks about how the kingdom of God is an everlasting kingdom. And so kingdoms may fall, but yet those who trust in him will not. Now, I want to land on something for a couple moments that um, was a little tough this week, just to be really honest. Uh, looking at verse 6, um, just these four words, nations are in uproar. And I had a series planned um, from last December. A friend and I went and kind of planned a different series, but planned out this year, 2019, way back in 2018. And I had an idea for what this month was going to be or what this series was going to be. And yet, with so many things going on, with so many heartaches within our nation, I felt like the topic I was going to do, it'll be good for another time, but it felt... It felt like it would be remiss for us to not take some moments to acknowledge, regardless of your age, regardless of divisions because of age, regardless of divisions because of race, regardless of divisions based on socioeconomic status, regardless of any divisions that might divide us as a country, I think we can agree that our nation is in uproar. There's brokenness, there's heartache, there's tragedy that I just felt like, what would it look like for us to take a moment to to recapture what 40% of the Psalms, this isn't one of them, but 40% of the Psalms are laments, are moments of mourning. And yet in our culture, we just want to roll those things off our back if things happen and tragedies in our happen. Oh, I'm fine. No, I'm really, I'm fine. It's going to be okay. You know, we don't want to show weakness because for some reason we think that revealing our heartaches is weakness. In reality, when showing our heartaches can be great strength. One, because we can draw great strength from community. And two, because community can draw great strength from your faith. And recognizing this idea that our nation as I've been praying and just trying to figure out what do we do with this? Because regardless of how you vote and regardless of what you think, there are tensions racially. There are. And I know that I can't understand a fraction of what different races experience in our country. All I know is that I never had grandparents because my dad wasn't white, my mom's family didn't approve, so I never got to meet them. They never want anything to do with me. That's something when I think of racial tension, that's something that I have been a byproduct of, and I've tried to process and figure out what does it mean to not feel wanted by your family because the color of your skin. What does that look like? Why is our nation in such uproar? And this is not a sermon going into the, to all the reasons behind that, because that is above my head. But I do know that there are ways in which we can provide a third option. There are ways in which if someone's different than us, we can get to know them, be kind, that we could look it around and surround ourselves with people who don't look the same, think the same, even believe the same, because imagine the light we could be to those who are far from God when we get to know them in community. But we get to see this idea that our nation is in uproar and there are racial tensions. In fact, we've seen the amount of just tragedies with shootings that have happened. And and specifically last week, recognizing that the gunman in El Paso talked about specifically targeting a specific people group. That we can't turn a blind eye to the fact that there's tensions. 
What we can do is figure out how we can see where there's tension, see where there's division, and like Jesus did, go into the middle and be a peacemaker, not just a peacekeeper, that he made a way where there was no way, that we were far from God for our sin, and God sent Jesus to die on the cross while we were still sinners so that we can have right relationship with him, that there are ways for us to be like Christ, to make a way where there is no way to build relationship with those who might be different. And yet in reality, we will find out the truth. The truth that we are all people. The same hurts that we have are the same hurts that other people have based on how they look. And we can learn more about their hurts and we could share ours. And there's this thing that happens that's really beautiful called community. That every tribe, every nation, every tongue would worship God together. What would it look like for the church, not just our church, but the church to be so clear that our, what unites us is the right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And although the world may try to divide based on age or race or um, socioeconomic status or any of these things, what would it look like for the church to be that shining beacon, that city on a hill that cannot be hidden, to say, all are welcome. We could come as we are, but because God's Holy Spirit's working in our life, we won't necessarily stay as we are because he's doing a new thing and he's making us more into the Christ-likeness. So looking at this, we prayed for Dayton and El Paso last week, and what struck me was the fact that it was not that long ago, it was just a few months ago that the nation was praying for Poway, that we were the city that the focus was on, because of a tragedy like this, that this isn't something that just happens across the world. It does, but not just that. It doesn't just happen across the country. It happens across our street. That the tensions or the, 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 the anger that's inside, the breaking down and wanting to hurt, whatever that is, that happened here at the Chabad of Poway. And now when you read stories of, of shootings, Poway is mentioned along with others as if it's part of the story, but we're still living that story. We're still in that community. And it's not a footnote to someone else's story. That's our story. How do we come alongside that? How do we find peace where there is no peace? How do we make a way where there is no way? How, how? we wrestle with the sadness that comes from mourning where our world may be, but using the gladness, the tension, the gladness of the river of God flowing within us so that we may be change agents for our community, for our city, for our nation, for our world, that it's out of that overflow that we can do things for God's kingdom because our kingdom's not going to last. Our nation's not going to last forever, but God's kingdom will. What does it look like to keep inviting people into his kingdom? So we look here that verse 6 talks about the power in God's voice. And I won't read the whole thing now, but if you want to jot down Psalm 29, verses 3 through 9, talk about how the Lord's voice is majestic, the Lord's voice is powerful, the Lord's voice shakes the desert, the Lord's voice breaks down cedars and breaks down pieces of cedar. Like, there's this power that comes with the voice of God. So when we are still, and we know that he is God in the midst of the trouble, 
then we could hear his voice and is the voice of God speaking to his people individually that can then share what God wants to be shared with our city and our nation and our world. The hope of Jesus Christ. The hope that as earth gives way, God is our refuge. As the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, God's our ever-present help. Recognize that the power of God's voice in our lives, and then for us to be able to share that truth with those around us. Verse 7. Verse 7 says, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Uh, another just note there, the word Lord Almighty um, is in a lot of the translations. And it, it sounds just like a powerful Lord. Like it, the idea is, oh, he's very mighty. The idea behind that, the Hebrew behind that, is not just that he's very powerful. Yes, that is true. But it's specifically referring to the idea that he's a Lord who is the commander of the armies of angels. That's a military idea of he has an army at his disposal. That Elisha in 2 Kings, they're surrounded by the enemy and his servant says, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. Elisha says, God, I pray that you would open up his eyes. And all of a sudden the servant of Elisha looks up, sees angels surrounding him. That, that we are not alone, that God has an, armies of angels at his disposal. So that word Lord Almighty, that he's with us, means that he's with us and he's got power behind him. And then verse 7, again, you don't see it in, in the text necessarily, but this is another moment to pause and calmly think about that. It's a Selah moment. Let's move on to verses 8 through 11. Because not only does stillness help keep our focus not on the objects of our fear, but on the author of our faith, not only does stillness enter us into the tension of gladness and sadness, but stillness also invites us to see how God is fighting the battles for us. What does this look like? Verse 8, come and see what the Lord has done. Notice it's an invitation as we see. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolation he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. Symbols of the bow being symbol of strength, spear, weapon of war, burning the shields. He sets them on fire. Then, after all of what we just read, we read that verse that we often use for us to go along in our quiet time. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Verse 11 is a repeat of verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Pause and calmly think about that. It's another Selah after verse 11. So God destroys the weapons that were set against his people. Exodus 14 says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Listen to this. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. See, it's in light of that context that we see to be still and know that I am God. That when Shailen or Elise are trying to go to bed, and emphasis on trying, um, they will, you know, sometimes they're like rolling around. And they're like, Dad, I can't sleep. I'm like, yeah, it's because you're rolling around. Dad, I, I can't sleep. It's also because you're talking a lot. <laughs> like, it's just one of those where it's this moment of, in the midst of, 
movement, in the midst of motion, in the midst of being hurried or, or whatever it may be, that's when we need the command to be still. I don't walk into a sleeping child and say, hey, honey, be still. Because that's the worst idea for a sleeping child is to wake them up just to tell them to go back to bed. But this idea of recognizing that we need that be still command and, and that admonition when we are in the midst of the chaos, when we see things going around us falling apart, when we are weeping and mourning over our nation and those who are hurting around us, when we see that there are battles that are needing to be fought and we feel like we're at the end of our rope being able to fight them ourselves and yet God says, I will destroy the weapons held up against you. We sang Desert Song earlier that no weapon formed against me shall stand. And that song talks about the different seasons in which we need to cry out to God. And it's not just when things are good. It's not just when things are quiet. It's often when things are troubled. And so the last point is that stillness reminds us that God doesn't promise that we won't face any troubles. Instead, he promises to be with us during whatever troubles we may face. That we look at this as the notes are up there and you can fill that out. Verse 1 talks about how God is what? An ever-present help. He's our refuge. He's our strength. Verse 5 talks about how God is within the city of God, the people of God, that God is within her. She will not fall. Verse 7 and verse 11 are repeats. When we see something twice, we got to pay extra attention to it. And talking about the Lord, the commander of the angel armies. Is not just watching over you, is not just mildly aware of what's going on. He is with you in the midst of it. He's with you, that he does not leave us to face our battles, our sadness, our fear alone. And it makes it clear that, so clear that God is truly with you in whatever event you are facing right now, whatever circumstance you are crying out over, those cries are, don't fall on deaf ears. He's with you. See, last night, uh, Elise woke up in the middle of the night, and they're in the same room, and so when uh, one of them wakes up, like, I go in there, because I'm like, if you, if one of them wakes the other one up, then it's like to the power of 10, like, you know, so you're just like, okay, we just got to get it all figured out. So I go in there, and I'm like, what is it? She's like, Daddy, I'm scared. And I'm like, okay, honey, don't be afraid. I'm, I'm, I'm right here. I don't know why you're scared. I'm right here. It's okay. And she says, Daddy, can you just hold my hand so that I know that you're here and that you are with me? And I wish my initial response was like, yes, honey, because that is what a heavenly father would do, and that is what I'm a model of. Like, instead, it was more like, I will hold your hand, but if you wake up again and I'm not holding your hand, don't keep staying awake, right? Like just go back to sleep. But I held her hand, she fell asleep. About an hour or two later, Shaylin wakes up. Daddy, I'm scared. I'm like, Lord, it's 5.30. I have enough sermon illustrations. Like we're gonna be okay, no. Um, <laughs> and so I just held her hand and like kind of laid awkwardly on like the side of the bed fell asleep so I could fall asleep anywhere except airplanes. But this idea where the reason that we're able to calm down is because I'm with you. you know, your daddy's watching over you. God's protecting you. I'm with you. Stephen Furtick in his book, uh, Sun Stand Still, uses this when it comes to the confidence we have when it comes to God. He says this, 
In other words, God bases his argument on his own ability, not on ours, on his. He says, I'm with you. I won't leave you. That's your confidence and that is your hope. Your confidence and your hope isn't in your own abilities because we know that we fall short. It's not in the abilities of our parents or our friends or people from the church. It's, it's in who God is. That we will fall short. God's hand is never too short. That he is not too far gone and you are not too far gone from him. That our hope comes from the truth that God is with us. So that was kind of what last night looked like, putting Elise first to sleep and then Shailen to sleep. And I remember when Shailen was first born and um, after a while I, I, I ended up starting to, well, she would start crying and get kind of all agitated. And we'll close with this idea that, you know, it was one of those things where uh, we'd started reading like the five S's the letter S, five S's, which as a preacher, I'm like, come on, give me all the letters in a row. Um, five S's of how to put a baby back to sleep. And so, you know, the first one is this idea of swaddling. So it's this idea that, you know, having them just be able to be calm or whatever it is. Uh, and Shailen was incredible at escaping the swaddle. Like she was very good at it. She would just kind of like fuss. And then all of a sudden she'd have like one hand and then it was just like, yep, I'm doing the backstroke and I'm out. You know, like it was very... She was good at that. That was great. So the first one is swaddling. So to have them just to be still, to hold them still. The next one is to put them on their side or their stomach while you're holding them. And, and then the third one is the idea of just of shushing, of, of just coming like She's screaming, she's upset, she's uncomfortable, she wants to go to bed, she's tired. Shh, 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 shh. And she's so loud that what do you do? Do you, do you just kind of shush into the general rancor of the whole house or do you just put them up to your ear and say, I'm right here, can you hear me? I love you, I'm with you. And then you start to swing them or to sway them, just to give that motion. But this, sound, this probably sounds weird to you, and maybe I'm the only one, but ever since I had Shaylin, we had Shaylin. Steph had Shaylin, I was a big part of it. Um, uh, ever since we had Shaylin as a joint unit, we, um, I would sway her to sleep so much that now when it's uh, a time for worship or, or uh, we're singing. I, I just find myself not standing still. I just find myself swaying in that same motion. And that same motion that I helped to put my daughter to sleep in is the same one that I just find myself when I'm singing to my father. Now, we talked about how there's swaddling and being on the side or the stomach, shushing, swinging. And then the fifth S Someone mentioned what it was last service in the middle of service. Before that, I thought it was just screaming internally for it all to end. Like that's what I thought it was, the fifth S. No, it's just one of those where you're so exhausted, so tired. But in those moments of being tired and exhausted are moments of great intimacy. Being able to build that rapport with our kids. And God whispers to us in those moments in that still small voice. 
As I was getting ready for this sermon, I saw a clip from Craig Groeschel last night, a pastor at Life Church, um, speak, uh, spoke at Global Leadership Summit, but he had a clip from his previous sermon um, at, a, at his church, and this is what it said, and I thought it was apt for what we're talking about today. He just said this, if you're anxious today, if you're afraid, listen for the whisper of God. Why does he whisper? He whispers because he's close. Some of you just need to hear that as you're thrashing and you're uncomfortable and there's chaos and you're having a hard time and the world seems like it's crashing around you, he whispers, can you hear me? I'm with you. I love you. That's your confidence. Keep your eyes on me, not on your fears. That's your hope. That's why we have gladness in the midst of trials. And he holds us, keeps us firm and still, holds us close, and just whispers to us, We're going to sing a song in a couple moments, but before we do, I'm going to ask all of us to just take a minute or so. I'll, I'll close us in prayer when the time's done. We're going to sing a, a song that's newer to us called Still. And the second verse talks about, Find rest, my soul, in Christ alone. Know his power in quietness and trust. Then I want us to, have we just read this, I'm going to follow the advice that the psalmist wrote after verse 3, after verse 7, and after verse 11. For us to have a moment of Selah right now, for us to have a moment to pause and calmly think about what we just heard. Be still now. Maybe you want to write down a note. Maybe there's a Bible verse he's putting upon your heart. Maybe it's just a word that he just wants to hear you to hear him say, I am with you. We're going to have a moment of, of, of Selah. Then I'll close us in prayer. Father, we thank you that even in your word, there are times in which we're just called to pause and calmly in stillness to think about what we've just read. And Lord, I pray that as a room this size, I can guarantee that there are several people who are in the midst of fixing their eyes on their fear rather than on you as our author of faith or are filled with sadness or are having moments of in the midst of a battle and feeling like there's no way out, God, I pray that no matter where people are in the midst of that, that they would take hold of the fact that you are our ever-present help. You 
are within us and we will not fall when you are with us. That you, as the Lord of the command of the armies of angels, are with us and that you are our fortress. That you can hold us close in the midst as we may thrash, we may fight against it, but you hold us close, you sway us, you hold us, you whisper to us how much you love us. Sometimes you just want us to be still and be quiet, just to be calm and hear us say, shh, God, quiet our hearts this morning. Speak what you need to speak and move how you need to move. And may we, as we sing together, may we be still in the midst of chaos and know that you are God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.